Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, August 9th. It's time for an episode of the Power Hour. We're going to hear from the team from Pittsburgh Power. I believe we've got Bruce and Pete and Leroy today. And then we will get to your calls and questions. So line them up. Phone lines are open 855 950 3835. We're going to get, uh, I think this should be Bruce. Bruce, good morning. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind this week? Good morning in the East. Well, I am. Uh, hey, lots of, lots of phone calls on people re-gearing to run in direct gear. And I just want to remind people that if you have a 355 or 370, 390, I'm finding a lot of trucks that were set up with 390s and 411 for heavy haul and people bought them now want to make them road trucks. So that's a drastic change. But if you like your RPM and your speed now, but yet you want to drop it to direct, just take the number you have. If it's 336 or 355 and subtract 90 from it. And that gives you the perfect ratio. So anyway, that's not really what I wanted to start with. I had a call yesterday from a 39 year old fellow that was from Bosnia. And he was raised in a house that was the size of a small two-car garage, and one of the walls was just a tarpaulin because they couldn't afford windows. No running water. You're lucky to take a shower once a week, he said. Wow. And he was able to escape and get to the U.S. He tried to escape when he was eight years old and got caught in Germany. And I don't know what happened between the years of eight and 15, but... Uh, 15 years of age, he got into the U.S., and he didn't speak any English. He speaks very good English now. He's 39. He ended up going to college and became a nuclear engineer for the Navy. And while he was a nuclear engineer, he used to listen to our midnight radio show, you and I did. And he kept hearing us talk about the D-deck fours and freight liners. And he bought one, started to tinker with it. Then he got his CDL and he got the truck leased on. He said, oh, my God, I'm making more money than I am as an engineer. (laughs) (laughs) And the story continues. He now runs from Michigan to central Pennsylvania. He's got two contracts, 35 loads a week. So I figured that out. He's got to have at least 10 trucks to do that. Wow. Yeah. At least. So you figure he didn't get out of the, out of college till he was 22. Eight years in the Navy made him 30. So now he's 39. So he's done this in nine years. Wow. He has a family, has a house. He rents a 2,200-square-foot new building that he has his toys in. He road races Porsches. And he's got a 2005 or 2006 911. He kept, you know, he runs catalysts in his trucks, and he saw the benefit of the catalyst in the in the diesels. But he heard us talking about putting the max mileage catalyst in gasoline. This road racing that he does, it's a two and a half hour run. It's not SCCA. 
Hmm. I'm not sure exactly what it is. I have to call him back and find out more about it because I know another guy that does road racing on a 911, and it's not FCCA. Huh. But anyway, he, you know, we, he, he purchased the boarded and ceramic coated exhaust manifolds from us. His Carrera, or his Porsche, is 325 horsepower, normally aspirated, no turbo. They took the exhaust manifolds off it and had them ceramic coated to see if it would make a difference. But at the same time, he started putting catalyst in. On the track that he runs up in Michigan, that he normally tops out on one straightaway at 100 and let me get this right. Let me go back in my notes. 124 mile per hour. He now pops out at 130. Interesting. Six mile per hour gain on a straightaway. That's big on the top end. That's huge. Yeah. Absolutely huge. And so they, uh, after he won the race, they wanted to disqualify him. And they started to take a car apart to find out how he was cheating. They didn't find anything. <laughs> you know what I get out of this story, Bruce? And have, there are so many examples of this. And, you know, you want to learn like this to be able to learn and, and do things better. But for the most part, we kind of ruin our own kids in this country. And I think it's human nature. You know, you have a one generation mm-hmm. that becomes successful, usually, you know, starts a business, creates a small business. The next generation is usually not very successful. I mean, there's there's a pretty clear pattern like that. We What we tend to do as parents, we tend to spoil our kids so much that you, you look at these people, there's so many stories of this that grew up in what we would just consider horrible conditions. I mean, you just wouldn't wish that on anybody to grow up like that. But so many times, those people, you know, when you look at it, you think, well, look at the conditions they grew up living in. They can deal with just about anything. And they go on to build pretty crazy successful businesses because they'll work 20 hours a week in any conditions. Nothing bothers them. You know, when he arrived here, he was five foot ten. He weighed ninety pounds. Oh, oh! He now, he now, he went up over, he went up over two hundred. He's down now one fifty eight. You know, I had a um, early on when I started doing accounting. This would have been in the early nineties, um, and. Then I moved the whole thing down to Florida, so I was at a hub there for FedEx. So I was there every day. My trucks were there, and I was trying to build this business. So, you know, I would talk to the contractors there, and I'd do some of their tax work. And we're standing around the yard one day, and guy pulls in. Um, he's got a T2000, and he's pulling a, some of our trailers because, you know, we interline some stuff here and there and he doesn't know where he's supposed to go so I start talking to him and I help him out and he comes out and he I don't remember he started asking me a question about something and then we started talking about the business and he had come over from God, I'm gonna say it was like Croatia it was when you know we what um what war did we have going on then there's been so many of them the when Eastern European, we a whole bunch of those countries don't even exist anymore. Um, he was a part of that, and a lot of those people fled that area and, and came over here then. And 
he ended up within, I ended up doing his accounting for him and doing his tax work within the next five years. The guy had 25 trucks in five years. Wow. Wow. I've never seen anybody work so hard. And he grew up with that same kind of, you know, he had nothing growing up, horrible conditions, basically a war zone. And when he got here, all he wanted was an opportunity. And the thing about our country, especially then, I mean, it's, and it's still that way. There's still incredible opportunities here. That's all he wanted. And he took advantage of it. And the other thing was, he basically had an unlimited supply of drivers. Every time he'd buy a new truck, he'd just call back to the old country and get one of them over here. And he just kept importing them in. But he had 25 trucks in five years and was just doing incredible. Wow. it's pretty awesome. Yeah, this fella, you know, came from Bosnia and said, you know, it's communist. And he said, yeah, he doesn't like direction the United States is headed and he said we don't want to go that way and a lot of our guys that live in the Romania and Bulgaria areas of Chicago they say the same thing and we have several owner operators from Croatia that come in and they'll tell you we don't want to be like that yeah and you know what those people don't want anything from the government other than to just leave them alone which is kind of what I want. I, I don't. Yeah. We don't need a bunch mm-hmm. of programs and garbage and just leave us alone, especially people in business. Leave us alone. Let us get back to business. Okay. All right. Let's, oh, uh, that's what I have. And what I have on the um, mileage improver, here's what the reports we're getting back. Some people are seeing a mileage increase. Some are staying just the... Uh, about the same, a slight increase, but everybody's noticing more throttle response and a smoother engine. Yet the max mileage catalyst does that, but the mileage improver is taking it to the next step, making it more responsive and quieter yet. And the people I've talked to, I said, well, I don't know if we're going to continue to produce this if we're not seeing like at least a quarter mile or a half mile of a gallon. But uh, they're wanting us to continue because of the smoothness and the response. The one thing I would caution you on with that, um, going forward, there's a monetary gain and we can prove it. You know, roughly seven out of 10 trucks is what I'd look for. Then it makes sense. If there's not a monetary gain that we can measure, but you've got people say, well, I'd love it. My truck runs so good. I would be really cautious. Part of that is always the placebo effect. You know, and we know the placebo effect is really powerful. I don't think most people understand the placebo effect and how we're able to measure it. And, and mostly it's used with drugs. So, you know, we think these drugs are, you know, crazy, powerful. They do all kinds of wild stuff, except we've proven about a million times that you can get the same effects even if the person just thinks they're taking the drug. So how do we know that the drug really works? If somebody can take it, and, and we're not just talking about one or two here or there. The placebo effect, there's a, there's a commercial about drugs that drives me crazy. Botox is, you know, they use Botox cosmetically to get rid of wrinkles and stuff like that. That's really crazy. But it's also used for migraine headaches. 
they inject Botox into certain nerves on your face and head, and it kills the nerves. And then, you, and that's what it's doing. It's killing the nerves um, because it's a toxin. Um, but it takes away the pain of these migraine headaches. But if you read the fine print or you go research, you'll see that this particular drug if you take this drug, which is a toxin, it's got horrendous side effects, it's dangerous. If you take this drug, the statistic is something like instead of nine uh, migraines a month, people taking this drug only had four migraines a month. So they were more than cut in half. And if people can get rid of half of their migraines, they're so horrendous, they're willing to take this drug. But if you dig a little deeper, People who received the placebo, who did not receive the drug, had five migraines a month. They went from nine to five. They didn't even get the drug. Well, a good chiropractor can adjust your neck and get rid of migraine headaches. That's where it comes from, is the back there, of the neck. So. We see people who have been suffering their whole life and give up grain, and they go away. Yeah, but yeah. but again, that, yeah, that, that placebo right. effect, I'd love to get feedback from people. And I love to hear that, yeah, my truck got quieter. I have more power right now. You know what? None of us are really that calibrated to know that we have more power going up the hill. I mean, if we know, if we have that one hill where we know the exact limits and then our top end goes up a little bit, I, I just like hard numbers. I really want to see some hard numbers. Well, you can you can really feel torque though on how much you push on the pedal. If you're driving the truck on the rolling hills and you've increased the torque, you can really tell because you are pushing less, especially on the rolling hill situations. You'll have some people, like but then, and then you know you have the skeptics, and I'm one of them. I've just seen too much of that mm -hmm. with the placebo effect and. Those things are nice, and I love a product when we have hard numbers and they improve, and people say, and it did this, and it did that. AirTabs was a good example. We talked about for years, you couldn't sell AirTabs based on the numbers. You couldn't measure them. AirTabs did not improve fuel mileage enough on most trucks to be able to measure it accurately with only one truck in the test. We did enough big testing, and there was enough testing done. We knew they worked. But it was usually too small to be able to measure. But most of the time, people would call back within a week and say, I don't, you know, if I get better fuel mileage, that'll be awesome. That's what I wanted. But I love all these other benefits. And then they would talk about the rain spray got knocked down lower. And that's wonderful when you have a product that can save money and has the other benefits. So we'll see. I'm, uh, okay. Keep our fingers crossed. But that's that's what I have. So all right, let's uh, let's find out what's going on with uh, Pete and Leroy. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Hello, Kevin. How are you doing today? Good, Leroy. You're up first this week. What's on your mind? Hey, well, Pete always goes first. I know. I thought I you know mix things up. Hey, throw me a curveball. You know, I wasn't ready. Well, wait. Let me. I have a habit of doing that. One year at the CMC. <laughs> We, uh, I think I waited till Wednesday or Thursday. I forget what day it was. Everybody got, you know, there's 
couple hundred people in the room and the first day everybody's nervous nobody knows where to sit and but by wednesday or thursday everybody's comfortable everybody's sitting in the same place every day i can see it and i know people do that because it makes them comfortable i like to make people uncomfortable so i walked up on stage and i got started and then i stopped and I said, yeah you know what we're gonna do something different today everybody has to get up and move you can't and don't get up and move and sit next to the same person you're sitting next to now. You got to get up, move somewhere else, get a new perspective, shake things up. Man, did people get pissed. We normally don't get many complaints about the CMC because our team pulls off an awesome event. But I had more complaints that year and they were all about me making everybody move. Yeah, I'm going to agree with them. I, I would be upset. <laughs> I, I really. I, I really. You know, what do you do when you go into when you go into a if you're traveling and you go into a strange church? You should go in last to let all the locals take their pew. <laughs> everybody goes to the same pew. Yeah, yeah. You know what though? It's a good idea to just get a new perspective once in a while. Right. I think I'm going to start parking up front, Pete. What do you think? I'm going to park in your spot. I need a new perspective. Parking Bruce is quite hard. All right. So, Leroy, tell about the, uh, the truck that got hit with lightning. Yeah, so I think Pete was going to go into that one a little bit more. I think he knows a little bit about it, but I'll start with the dino stuff. Um, so... The, we've been working hard on the dyno. Uh, currently, the dyno room looks like a bomb went off. So um, we've cut probably, I don't know how many, I, I, would, I would venture to say we cut two miles worth of wire out of that thing. It's so much simpler now. Like if we ever have any issues, there's only a few cables because everything is digital. It's no longer analog. It's going to be so much better to fix. We have so many more uh, features and things that we can do and tests and calculations and we can have custom parameters we can uh, pull off to the ECM. We can put it on your reports. That way, if you have to go somewhere else, you can you know, show custom parameters. There is just so much more we can do with this new dyno. I'm really excited to get it up. But we had to cut out the old one. and The old one was installed and then cut and spliced and fixed again and then cut and spliced like six more times. So There was a lot of wire there. There was a lot to cut out, but we're just about done. I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, so we should probably have it up by Thursday or so, something like that. So, Got it. Yeah, there was that. And the other thing I was going to talk about was I keep getting phone calls, and I think we get, we've get had a few calls on here about uh, cleaning knock sensors. Um, so I did a little bit more research into that, and the – so the way that the knock sensor works is sort of interesting. You know how it works, Kevin, or no? I have no clue. I, I, I feel like I'm about to learn something. So do you, do you know how a uh, sensor works, like in a car? No. Roughly? Nope. Oh, okay. So actually, a knock sensor is kind of really uh, a modified O2 sensor. And even on the trucks right now, they... Uh, you don't see it as like a measured parameter most of the time, but it does measure oxygen. So how the sensor reads is it takes a sample from the exhaust stream through the, the tip, or the nose, whatever you want to call it. It has 
all the little holes at the bottom. That's where it takes the sample in. It takes it into one of three chambers. The new sensors have three chambers. The old ones had two chambers. So each chamber goes through and like eliminates oxygen. And however much oxygen comes out of it is how much NOx it's making. So to break this down a little bit more, the first chamber evacuates a sample of any leftover oxygen, right? Then that sample is then moved into the next chamber. That chamber breaks down whatever NOx or NO or NO2 is in that, that chamber. And whatever it breaks off, as far as oxygen is when it splits like the nitrogen and oxygen, however many, however much oxygen, oxygen it gets off of there, it knows how much NOx is in there then. So it really doesn't read NOx, it reads its oxygen, but it has to break down the NOx particles before it can actually get, a, a, you know, an oxygen reading. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So to wrap this up, if you were going to clean it, you, you can't get any sort of chemicals to go from one chamber to the next chamber, to the next chamber, because they're very small little diffusion tubes, sort of like a, uh, like a reverse osmosis, uh, sort of diffusion tube to move from one to the other. So really where it actually reads NOx is in the second or third chamber. And there's no way you can get any sort of contact cleaner or carb cleaner or brake cleaner or anything in there. So, um, there's no way to clean them once they go bad. The other oh. thing to keep in mind, if you if you have any sort of excess smoke or anything in the exhaust stream, hydrocarbons, oil, water, that not only plugs the tip of it where it takes the sample from, but it can plug up that first sort of, not plug up, but it can contaminate that first chamber where it set, separates the oxygen. So you're breaking down the, the process from start to finish, and, and there's just no way to clean them, but... The best thing you can do is just make sure your truck doesn't burn oil or coolant, uh, or make sure all the, the sensors are on the truck or are working. Because if there's too much moisture in the exhaust, then water will like thermally crack it. So if that sensor is hot because there's a heater on it, so it heats up the sensor before it can even read. Then it gets hit with water; it can crack inside, and that's another reason that they go bad. So really, just the moral of the story is you can't clean them. The best thing you can do is just keep your truck in shape and uh, all the other sensors reading correctly. That's kind of the moral of the story. That sounds like a pretty complicated device. It is very complicated. I spent like two hours last night researching about their, their codeum coatings and how the oxygen pump sails are made of gold and platinum and how much sure. current goes through it. It's a big, complicated thing. So now you've got me curious. How do they eliminate the oxygen? Uh, so it's electrocatalyzed. <laughs> so it's a catalyst, but it, it's electrically catalyzed. Or is that the right word? I can't. Cat- yeah, that might be right. Catalyzed. Exposes yeah. the the knocks down into other things with. Um, basically just magic that's over my head yeah well you know what what when i think about this you know that and and they're explaining using a catalyst which makes sense but it's like where does that catalyst come from what is it it has something to do with the way that electricity is applied to these uh, precious metal sort of compound where you have this gold and platinum mixture and as you apply certain current to it it will split the uh, 
you know, split the, the or decompose the NOx down into oxygen. It's something like that. For for the nature of the show, I was like, I don't feel like I need to read all this. You didn't know. I feel I, like I'm kind of, you didn't know I was going to ask you for the details. Yeah, you're gonna. You know. See, so now I'm wondering. Made me uncomfortable. Just, I made me uncomfortable again. So now I have to go home and do more research. Yeah, so thanks. I'm assuming you know most of the time when you create something like this you pull out the oxygen or whatever you're doing usually there's something that gets depleted during that process but obviously not here because these things if they're kept clean they would virtually last forever probably right yeah i think well the new regulations for the epa 2027 they're supposed to last like 850,000 miles yeah, that's is a long what time. the regulations say yeah. well we know that it's not, they're not yeah huh the guy last week was replacing one every month and a half so Ooh, yeah yeah that's bad i don't think that, that was quite you know yeah. eight hundred and fifty thousand. no let's no. move but all right well uh great job on the homework this week yeah so yeah like we uh we put a post up on trucking tribe but yeah if anybody has anything we would like to research i'll do better next time and make sure i have all the questions answered but if anybody has anything we want to research and kind of talk about, just post it up on Trucking Tribe and we'll get to it. Excellent. I love it. All right, Pete, welcome. Hi, Kevin. So I was going to talk about, I have a customer in a shop with a 05 Century with a D-Deck 5 that got hit by lightning. And the damage it did to the truck, and more so the electronics than anything. And he was down for quite a few weeks after hitting, uh, he was going down the highway in Texas. Lightning hit. They think it hit the antenna. It's where it, it um, first hit. Okay. Then it went through the truck. Um, obviously, it shut him down. Um, yeah, shock there. <laughs> uh, that wouldn't have happened to a big camp. I was saying. So here we go. Yeah. But you know, it's up the batteries, his ECM, his scan gauge, the dashboard dash module abs module some of the switches in the dash aren't working the e-log and the inverter so freightliner worked on it they got about 12 grand into it he had a tow bill of like 750 bucks had to take it to another shop to do some more work and he's here with some other problems still and i think this is one of those deals where you get most of them fixed you do a road test we think everything's okay you know, he goes and finds out if okay, something else isn't working. I don't think you're going to be able to get everything on the first hit yeah. with I, as much as it was done. Um, uh, my thought, honestly, based on what I know about lightning, when it hits things like vehicles or human bodies, it does all kinds of crazy stuff that nobody understands. And I've read stories about people 30 years later after they've been struck by lightning they're still having issues that nobody understands. Um, one of the, there was a practitioner I was following and she wrote a book about something. Now I have to try to remember what the book was about. She was really into meditation and I was following her for that. And then I found out she had a book and I went and read the book, but it turns out she got struck by lightning. I think she was a teenager when it happened. And it's just, it's just bizarre what, um, what kind of things go on with their body that nobody can explain. And 30 years later, it's still happening. I think 
based on what I know, if I ever had a vehicle struck by lightning, I'd get rid of it. Yeah, for sure. I would just get rid of it, especially today with how complicated these things are electronically. You could, I just have a feeling that truck will probably make somebody crazy forever. Yeah, fortunately, it's a little bit older, so there's a lot less to go along. That and the Freightliner, what you said, if it was a newer truck, they would have had to total it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the cost to fix it would have been too high. Look how much time and money he has into this one. That, yeah. And it's, it's still not right. And, it's insurance paid so far. Yeah. And and nobody knows. That's the problem. You're, you're, every time something goes wrong, and, and once people know it was struck by lightning, then it's like they're not even going to want to work as hard to try to find it. You know, it'll just be, well, it got struck by lightning. What are we going to do? I, yeah, I yeah. think I, I think I'd get rid of it. Um, we just had that crazy you know, lightning strike near the White House that killed multiple people. That's really rare. Lightning strikes killing one person when they hit them. That happens. Um, but multiples, that's pretty rare. And, you know, in his case, as far as keeping the truck, it's an 05 deck five that's you know a good engine to own he gets good fuel mileage um, it's been a good truck to him yeah and at what point you say it was yeah it was a good that's... truck hopefully you know um you know, just like with the body like you said how many people that get hit with lightning survive for them to study to see what's going to happen with them that's part of the problem i think there's just not enough of it happening that we can figure it out and it is really complicated i had my um when i lived in orlando that's like the lightning capital of the world talk about lightning strikes they're just all the time down there i mean there are days where you know you go weeks and you have lightning every single afternoon um which was a pain in the ass if you are any kind of a youth coach and you practice outside because they come in the afternoon right when you're supposed to be practicing and every day you have to decide, do I take the kids out there with lightning or do we wait or it was a pain. But my house got struck and I was in it when it got struck. The, the noise was unbelievable, like an explosion. And the, just the weird stuff that happens, it hit somewhere near the front door. I actually think it hit the doorbell button because that got blown off the wall outside and the doorbell itself it was like an externally mounted doorbell inside that got blown clear across the room the garage door opener fried um luckily i had all the computer stuff on on really good protection so none of that got hurt but it it made a mess but it was just random stuff all over the house Unpredictable. Yeah. Yeah, I would probably burn the house. <laughs> yeah, just, just, just burn it down. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I mean, it got hit by lightning, so it's that's right. Possible. It'll never be right. Back in the eighties and early nineties, our old shop down by the turnpike got hit twice. Really? We lost the. Yeah, we lost the uh, computers here. Yeah, I forgot about that. Well, and each time it's $25,000 loss. And the insurance company said, you're not covered for that. 
then our big sign pole, and we had our Cummins sign and, Pitts, and diesel injection at Pittsburgh sign. I got blown over, called the insurance company. You're not covered for that either. I said, what am I covered for? <laughs> well, wait a minute, Mike. I pay a thousand dollars, so. I, I'm kind of devastated. My whole childhood was a lie now. I was, we, we were told lightning never strikes twice. Yeah, now we lost our computer system twice. Wow. $25,000 hit each time. That's a big one. Sheesh, yeah, Back in is. the 80s. Yeah, it is. $150,000 now. Well, you know, they, people always ask me, well, not always, but every now and then I'll get a question about, you know, who's got the best insurance or who should. Most of us don't know your insurance company, whether they're good or not, because how many times do we use it? And then how common is it that when you have to use it, you get some sort of an answer like this? Oh, well, you're not covered. <laughs> Why not? What are we paying for insurance for if I'm not covered? All right. One that really gets me is you have a beautiful older truck. You did a body off the frame, a body on frame restoration, and you put a hundred and some thousand dollars into it. And uh, the fact that it's a 1995 or 97, and whenever if it gets destroyed, insurance companies going to sell. It's only worth 15000 We actually talk about that once in a while, and I tell people, you can go get it insured for, now you kind of have to prove that value, but that's usually not that hard to do. If you can prove the new value and you go to the right insurance company, not all insurance companies will do this, but there are companies out there that insure those kind of vehicles. Because that's always been a problem. Classic cars. I mean, hell, look at some of those things sell for hundreds of thousands of dollars now. Like I said, we have two big thieves in the country. Insurance companies number two. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I know who. Number one. Yeah. Yeah. Number one, you knew that is. Yep. pay our taxes. Absolutely. All right, Pete, what else you got? Uh, that's it. We'll go right. follow up next week once we, um, you know, whatever else we had to do this week to it, we'll let you know. All right. The majority of it's been repaired, but it's still not right. He still has codes. We'll yeah. melt it down for big camp punch. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we'll come out of it. Yeah. There you and, go. And it's a hundred dollars shot. I'll get it running again. Yeah. All right. Let's find out uh, what's going on with the phones. We have some lines open. We've got calls coming in. If you want to join us, we'll stay here as long as you've got questions. 855-950-3835. We're going to head off to New Jersey to get started. Warren, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. We're so glad to get through. I really enjoy the show and uh, especially the power hour and listening to you guys. It's uh, I, I've probably been listening now. I found you kind of late, I guess. I've been listening about a month and it really helps uh, the time go by and kind of educates me and it's fun to fun to listen to. So I appreciate well, it. and I'm thrilled to be talking to you guys. Well, thank you. It's great to have you here. I've got a question for you. Um, yeah. So since you're that new a month, um, we were on Sirius XM for 15 years. Um, I got hit with cancel culture. 
it, so yeah. on Sirius XM, it was easy to get new listeners. I mean, we got new listeners constantly because, you know, somebody's scrolling through. Lots of people have Sirius. They buy a new car, new truck. It's already in there, whatever. So people find you all the time. Um, once we got canceled sure. on Sirius, we now run our own network and our own podcast. And we're, we're really not putting a big push out to kind of grow the audience yet. We're, we're pretty happy with the... The followers we've got right now, we're working through building our own technology. How did you find us? Okay, so I, I have, um, uh, I got, I had my music playlist that, uh, you know, just became mind-numbing after you know, hours <laughs> now. I just, you know, I, I've listened to it again and again. So I, right. I, I, I started switching to podcasts, and I was looking for good you know, trucker content. And I, I actually listen, um, uh, was listening on another platform trying to think of what, you know, I use, I use Apple podcasts. Um, and I have an app for that. And I, I think though, I ended up finding you on YouTube because I, I was, I also, you know, use YouTube to find, uh, videos for the industry. And I, I think one of your videos just came up as a recommendation Okay, and I, I Googled you and I of course discovered about the flap over Sirius X and all that. And, uh, but I found then, um, some of your, your older podcasts on the Apple platform and, and they didn't work. And so I, but I was intrigued by the title. So I, I just ended up finding, uh, on some other platform. And then I, I ultimately, I was led to the app and I've downloaded that and it works great. And it's, you know, convenient to listen to in the truck. So I, I basically, it was just, it was by happenstance. I just happened to be uh, on YouTube and, and there was something on there. Somebody posted that, that led me to you. So, yeah. well, um, that's interesting because we don't do a lot of video. I've always said we should probably do more, but, uh, uh, actually you had to work pretty hard to get here. So thank you for that. Uh, great. To sure. Have you no, I, I did. And I, and I'm, no, I'm glad I, I'm glad I did. So, all right. I, uh, I don't remember which show it was Kevin, but I was listening to a, to a guy that called into you, I think it was, a, it was not the power hour, but he had was talking about a, a novel idea he had for advertising on the back of trailers and you guys beat him up pretty well. And so I hope, I hope you'll do that with me because you know, I've got a dumb idea here too. Um, I, I am actually, if you can believe it, I'm, I'm a reformed lawyer. Okay. I, uh, practiced law for, for years and I just, I ended up finding myself and, after a career in local government and in private practice, doing a lot of domestic relations to pay the bills. And I just hated it. And it was, you know, kind of soulless. And I, I, for whatever reason, I won't go into it, but I, I decided to go into trucking and that was in 2017. So I've had my CDL since then. Uh, I've got about a year and a half of total company experience. I spent a year with a company and I had my parents die in kind of rapid succession, and I ended up having to handle their estate. They had some property and some issue, you know, things that uh, kept me out of trucking for. I, I I just ended up getting out of it for a few years, and um, uh, I'm I'm back to company driving. But I I was really close to buying my own truck during the boom, and. Uh, going the owner operator route, I was going to do power only. And, 
in a way, I'm glad I didn't. I just, I ultimately decided, you know, I had this four-year gap. I, let me go and find a company job, uh, you know, get, get my, you know, get refreshed on it and see if it's still, you know, really what I want to do. And, and it's, it's gone well. I'm, I'm happy. It's a pretty decent company I'm at. And, and, uh, it's, it's gone well enough. I, but I still <laughs> can't help myself. I, I keep contemplating, you know, the, and, you know, with the driver facing camera and the, the bells and whistles that, that are constantly up my butt. I, I, you know, can't, I still can't help but think about the quote, you know, freedom of, of, of being an owner operator. But I also, I'm 49. I'm going to be 50 in November. And, you know, with each year that goes by, the Grim Reaper lurks more closely around the corner. And I, I think that's part of it too. But I'm, I'm, I'm trying to build something that, I, I haven't done a good job at, at, at uh, saving money and, and preparing well for retirement. And, you know, despite the, the, the really tough market and what we're facing, you know, what I hear owner-operators facing out there, I, I do still feel like it's, it's some potential for me to, to, to build some savings and to, to you know, perhaps e- even starting in this market to long-term do better than I would you know, uh, slugging it out with these company jobs and, and trying to, you know, build a 401k that'll keep me out of a, a cardboard box in retirement. So, you know, that's kind of where I'm coming from on it. And I have, I spent a long time researching and trying to figure out what, you know, the right truck was. And I keep going back to, uh, I still keep going back to pre-emissions trucks um, the, the, the older trucks. And I've, I've got basically two scenarios I wanted to run by you guys. One is a specific truck that I admit I, I kind of have an emotional attachment to. I know that's not good. It's, you know, it's a tool for the job. And I, but this, I do like this truck and I, and I have researched it quite a bit. This is a truck that's been off the road for 10 years. Uh, it was last stickered in 2012 but it's, it's, it's about a mile from my house. It's, it's at a, it's at a parts dealer. It's completely intact. And it, and it, it drove onto the facility. It's a 91 international 9,700 pro sleeper with the high top. Okay. And this, this particular truck for its day has international's full aerodynamic package. And these trucks, you know, believe it or not, I've read up on them, even articles in the eighties and nineties, International put a surprising amount of money into making these aerodynamic and touted the fuel mileage potential. This truck has a Cummins N14 uh, Select. It's it's not the Select Plus. It's the first year, uh, as my understanding is, for the N14. So it's and that that N14 is rated at 330 horsepower. It's got a nine-speed Eaton in it, and the top gear on that transmission, I think is, would be a, a 0.76. And I, unfortunately, and I know this is important, but I, for the life of me, I've been all over this truck. I cannot find out what the, the rear end ratio is, yeah. but I can tell you it's spec as a typical company truck for the, for that era, like a JB yeah. hunt international 
cab over. Um, I'm going to guess and it's, it, it's either got 370s or 390s. And, and really, that's on, what I was thinking. Really, on this truck, it's not all that important that we know it. The N14 would do pretty okay. well with everything from about 355s to 390s. It's, it's an easy engine to drive. We could go the other way, like Bruce said, just subtract 90. If we wanted to regear it to run and direct, we could get down into 264s or 273s, would work. It, it's a flexible engine, it's got a pretty wide power power band where it can still get you know reasonably good fuel economy the engine itself is just about bulletproof um during that time that you're talking about almost all of my trucks were internationals in the early 90s i had i had a good international dealer where i lived so I, i there was a time when i tended to buy trucks based on the the dealer that i had a good relationship with in the garage and at the time it was an international dealer and i had a sales guy that found me my trucks when i wanted them used uh so i had a ton of experience with with internationals during that time they were good solid trucks certainly nothing wrong with them at all um and there was a time they put a ton of work into aerodynamics and and they were promoting their truck and i forget what year it was as the most aerodynamic truck on the road that's always hard to prove and they're always arguing back and forth but for a while international was in that race then international got that goofy ceo that used to be at freightliner for a long time what was that guy's name he just about destroyed that company um and and internationals really kind of struggled ever since uh but there was a time in the, right yeah those were solid trucks it was almost everything i owned for a while was international really this is a a great starter truck you know we make sure it's solid all those things but like i said that engine's just about bulletproof it's cheap to to rebuild it's easy it's a simple engine this just comes down to price what do they want for this thing uh, the 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 price is it's only seventy five hundred bucks oh, yeah. uh, for for the truck. That's pretty hard. And, to go and I, but one thing I'm trying to figure out is for a truck that is, and I unfortunately long ago I actually went over there and tried to jack the cab up, and about three pumps in, I watched the hydraulic line shoot hydraulic fluid out. So. That gave me a sense of all the rubber on the truck's going to need replaced. You know, I, I, I've got a spreadsheet where I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say it probably does, but you know what? We don't see all those crazy problems with old trucks that sit for a long time. Even in the 90s, we had pretty okay. darn good materials. And now, no question, if you can go through and replace all the rubber hoses, belts, you should. Um but, you know, you, you look at a truck like this at $7,500. I have to believe you've blown $7,500 in your life on things that got you almost nothing back. Many times, probably. Absolutely. <laughs> many many right. times. Right. So this, so, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, so here's 7500 bucks with a chance of building a business. And we get instant right. revenue back. I mean, we can make that $7,500 right. back in a month. And revenue. I mean, it, it, right. it, if somebody is willing to take on an older truck because they have those issues, you may find yourself, you mm-hmm. know, on the side of the road with a leak somewhere, and you're going to have to deal with it. And but if somebody's willing to do that, 
it's almost impossible to go too wrong with a truck like this. I mean, how, how, okay. much, how much are you out? You know, you, you go spend 7500 probably put another 7500 into it before we even drive it. So I, I okay, would Okay, because I was, 15, oh, that's great. I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's what I, I thought, I thought I'd pay 7500 and end up putting another ten to fifteen in it. And, and I wanted to know if that was realistic, so you answered that question. You might, but even if we did, having a truck that we put 25000 into today is nothing. I mean, those are right. Look, there are there are repairs, not just in frames anymore. Pete, what's it cost to replace a one box these days? Yeah, parts and labor, twelve, thirteen grand. Yeah, there, there's half on just one repair. Yeah, and see, and there's the reason where it shows. Here's the thing: they don't know. I tried. I reached out to the company that owned this truck, and they they just they. They said they'd call me back, and they're not. You know, they don't care. So, but it's it shows six hundred thousand. You know what? They own this truck for years before, and I think they got rid of. There's four. This is the only one with a setback axle, and and it's easier to get in and out of. You know, I'm not climbing the wall, so to speak, and the setback axle. I understand gets a little bit better fuel efficiency. I like it better. so, but they have four of these. The other ones are are the forward axle version. Same thing, high top cab, condo sleeper. You can stand up in them. They're not the flat floors, but in behind the the hump, you, you got full standing headroom in them. So you know they they overcome the biggest issue with the cab over, which is you know getting dressed laying down. So it shows six hundred fifty thousand miles. I. I realistically think that was six point five million, or uh, I'm sorry, one point six million miles. Yeah, that's what I think. Saw now here, here's and, the, here, and they got rid of them because let, let me help they you were with that part. They of were cab and it is highly okay. likely that it is one point six million miles, which is okay. That that would not scare me, Bruce. You've talked about several N14s that were approaching two million miles hadn't been touched yet. But I want Pete um, to tell about that 330 horse because that has the different camshaft and the aluminum pistons. And okay. Pete's an expert on that. Okay. So let's let Pete talk a couple minutes because 330 horse, unless you live on dead level I, ground, you're not going to really like that. I don't remember. I was going to ask that. I don't remember this engine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're there. And. Um, go ahead, Pete. So the early selects, um, they made a couple of changes. So everyone's aware of the select and select plus, uh, but they almost had two versions of the select engine. Um, the earlier ones ran a different camshaft, different timing, and we didn't get the horsepower and torque out of them as you did the later ones. Now, with that said, we can program it and get the horsepower and torque and response up some as is, and it would depend on the engine serial number. And of course, okay. at the time of the rebuild, we can do some things to clean, go a little higher with it. Okay. But you still have the advantage of the fact that it's an N14, which is really a, a durable engine. Like, like this block, we almost never have to pull an engine on an N14 because the block's bad. Whereas, okay, if then, what about the main bearing cap threading? 
so they have a issue that we know to look for. It's called fretting on the main block or on the main caps. And what happens is the main caps are moving. And if it's really bad, it needs to go out and line board. Uh, we had one truck. It was a glider. So God knows where that engine came from that we had to just get another engine. And it was just too bad to do anything with. But it's one of the things my guys know to look for. Um, and I, I really think maybe two or three times we've had to pull out an engine because of that. So it's something to, to be aware of. Um, but it's not a something that I would not buy a truck for because of that. Okay. That threading is something because people people don't change the torsional damper on the crankshaft. That's what's causing that threading. Can I ask you something about uh, oil sampling, okay? Because I've heard, you know, I hear all these calls and these guys are sampling oil. It sounds like a great way to find out what's going on in the engine. Okay. So this truck, as it sits, has full fluids, okay, like it was ready to go. Now, but they are all been sitting there 10 years, and I went ahead and I pulled the dipstick on it, and it's it's full of oil, okay? So after sitting 10 years, is it worth doing an oil sample on the oil that's in it now, or would that not be uh, uh, instructive to me? The, you know what I'm saying? In other words, would I be able to do an oil sample with the oil that's sitting in there now and find anything out about it? You have to be able to answer one question. I know the oil's 10 years old. That doesn't bother me. We'll see high oxidation and things like that we can just ignore. Uh, but the real key here is how many miles were put on the oil with the engine running? Was it changed and parked? And if it was changed and parked, forget it. No, you're not going to be able to tell a thing. It, we need about 10,000 miles uh, on the oil to start to see patterns. I see. I see. So if we okay. can find out, if, if, if somebody just parked the truck without, like, you know, when a truck goes to a dealer, the dealer, the first thing they do is service it, always. So when a truck's sitting on a dealer lot, no, don't ever even think about oil sampling it. Now, when I used to work with dealers, like this international dealer and any dealer I work with, if I'm looking for a used truck, I'll tell them, here's what I'm looking for. When you find one, do not service it. I want to see it before you service right. it. I want to pull an oil sample. So if you can do that, but the, the rule of thumb is we'd like to have about 10,000 miles on that oil or more. Okay. Okay. Now, here's okay. here's something you can go do um, that will help us understand some history on this engine, and we can probably figure out what the true mileage is. Um, well, let me ask this first. Leroy, can you go into an ECM on this engine and figure out how many miles are on it? Uh, yeah. Okay. That's one way. Yeah, you can pull it Okay, so that's one way, and I would want to know that. That's like the next thing I want to know about this. Is it really 600,000 right. or is it 1.6? Uh, either way, I might still be interested in it, but it's going to make a difference. You can go to RigDig, RigDig.com, and I don't know, it's like 30 or 40 bucks. Okay. We used to have a partnership with them. We did a lot of stuff with them, and you put in the VIN number, and we'll get all of the history on this truck, all the DOT inspections it's been through, any accidents it's been in, oh, any okay. insurance claims. Um, we'll find right. out. A, and and every time the vehicle was sold or transferred, then we get an odometer reading at that time. 
So a lot of times I can go back and look. If this thing traded hands a couple of times, then we can go back and look and say, no, this probably is 600,000. Okay, okay. Now, I have some fuel mileage assumptions that I wanted to test here with you guys. I, to make a long story short, I, my, my best estimate on this of what I could realistically get was 6.75 miles a gallon. And, and I, my numbers are all kind of based on that. Can I get that if this truck worked out? If I were buying this truck to put it on the road, pulling general freight in a van, you know, if we're pulling other. That's weird, what I'd be doing. OK. Now, you had at one time you had mentioned power only, which is I actually like power only because I like a change. I don't like doing the same thing all the time. Power only your fuel mileage is all over the place because you never know right. what's going to be behind your truck. But I'll give you right. what I would expect out of this truck. Now, not the way it's sitting. But all the things we know we can do to a truck like this to get better fuel economy, my goal for a truck like this would be eight miles to the gallon. Wow. Okay. As it sits, do you have any idea of what I'd be looking at? Probably six and a half to seven. Okay. Okay. So I'm in the ballpark. All right. That's good to know. And by the uh, way, that that arrow that that. Cab over international with that setback axle. I think JB Hunt had a lot to do with designing that truck, and I was told back then that that cab over was more aerodynamic than a conventional. It can be because it only breaks the air yep. one time. Yep. It, 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 so I actually found an I actually found an article from a from a not international. This was from an independent some trucking publication, and there was actually. Uh, an independent organization that did a study of, because International was, just as you said, they were making all these claims. And the study found that it was the most aerodynamic cab over of, of all the models and ever built. And it also found that aside from maybe one, because I think the T600 was, which was kind of aerodynamic in a way, there was one maybe conventional that, that could do better, but really... I think you're right. So I, I, that was one of the reasons I thought, you know, this isn't your typical cab over. I mean, it, 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 it is, it, it was designed with aerodynamics, not only in mind, but as a, as a pretty high priority. So, you know, I, I just, I like this truck a lot. I, 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 and I, and I, you know, again, I, I appreciate this information because, you know, I hate to admit this, but they, you know, it's open and it sits there, and I, I, I even occasionally I'll go sit in it and yeah. you know, imagine myself going down the road. And so, but I am kind of emotionally attached to it now. I like the idea of it, so it's good to get you know this this uh, uh, this information now. As to the power it's got as it is, how I mean, how bad is it going to be? Uh, I mean, in other words, I don't want to be restricted to running hey, flat ground. I mean, like, like now I go through PA and West Virginia and yeah. Yeah. So when you're talking about the hills on the East coast, the East half of the country, yeah, you just have to deal with them. I mean, that that's just, but they're usually short. You got to remember that we're not talking about right. these long, crazy, you know, 6% grades we get out West, but even then here, let's think about something. Um, I'm going to go back to real extremes here. 
I, I grew up in trucking. I remember my Bruce, you might be able to, is there an engine we would have been talking about back then that was like 140 horsepower? Uh, the uh, Well, the NH250, and then we had the NT or the NH220. I remember that. But I remember the 140s were the J, the J and the J. I, they were the J and was it the JP or just the J? Okay. I, I thought so. So I can remember my father talking about trucks with 140 horsepower. And one of the stories that I always like to tell, you know, especially when I was a kid, because my dad would tell it, is through Pennsylvania, because I grew up in Northeast Ohio. So you did a lot of trucking in Pennsylvania. He said it, it was common to actually, on, on the way up a climb, you were going so slow, you would open the door, step out on the running boards and urinate on the way up the hill. <laughs> that's good to know i mean that saves time i, I i'm all about that yeah, that's but you know what uh, i'm actually from ohio i'm actually from ohio by the way northeast ohio kevin i i'm in new jersey right now i but uh, i i am an ohio guy so oh yeah i, I grew up in street, yeah, street let, 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 let's oh, okay. say this okay we can take i would take that four or three thirty and take it to four hundred and thirty horsepower Okay. A couple minor changes, so um, you don't have to stay at three thirty. But the okay. one hundred horsepower, adding one hundred horsepower, gives you roughly three hundred more foot pound of torque. That's a big that change. Make you a little bit yeah. happier. That, that's a that would help a lot. That, huh? That's a significant change. That 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 power <laughs> issue is mind. is an issue, but it would not be a disqualifier for me. That truck will deliver freight okay. all over the country. Okay. You know, right. he probably has 370s and 390s, which is to his advantage. Exactly. Yeah. And it's probably 390s. Horsepower. He's probably 1,500 anyhow, which compared to what, uh, you know, Big Cam was at 12 or 1250, that's still a noticeable difference. Yeah. Even though know, the horsepower is low, you, the torque values aren't as terrible as they, they might, someone might think they are. Okay. And By the way, we have, an, we have another attorney that's big into trucking in, from Youngstown, Ohio. And he oh, has, really? Yeah, he has his cousin in a, in a W900 with a cat in it. And I worked okay. with him many phone conversations before they settled on that truck. So there's another one. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're not the Lone Ranger. Attorneys that like trucks. One of the things I do see out there, I see a lot of them, and that is just as an alternative, but I just assume fuel mileage would be a, a maybe a deal killer on these. I see a lot of 80s international cab overs with big cams in them. What kind of fuel mileage? I, I was thinking I'd struggle to get above six on those. Yeah, Am it, I right? No. At 838 and 840 CPL that came out in those cab overs, especially uh, J.B. Hunt, Swift, and Snyder, those engines set up. That's what was in my Kenworth. They're up in the seven pluses. Really? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So you think a big cam from that era could work as well? Yep. You'd be, I'd rather see you go with the uh, N14, but the big cam will do it. Okay. Okay. And why do you think the N14 is the better bet? 
positive having the electronics. It, the okay. torque values are a lot higher. Yeah, so... You know, that, that 350 okay. horse is at 1150 or 1200 foot-pounds of torque. And okay. as we raise horsepower on those, the torque doesn't jump as much as on electronic engine. So after we okay. do a program on this, torque values can be very respectable. Uh, I wouldn't say that. The, the plus, plus on the end... Go ahead, Bruce. On the N14, when we rebuild it, we'll make it a five and a quarter and set it up to 625 or 650 horsepower. You have lots of options. Okay. Here's the other thing to remember. We go back to mechanical engines. They're nice and simple, but they have some huge drawbacks. We used to put bearings in them every 250,000 miles. The only thing controlling oh, fuel okay. going into that cylinder is your right foot. And even the best drivers in the world will end up with much more fuel dilution on a mechanical engine than you do an electronic. The biggest change in electronic okay. engines was fuel control. They were able to precisely, even the old ones were pretty precise, not like we are today, but way more precise than a human being with their foot on the throttle. And we didn't get all that fuel dilution, so bearings lasted a lot longer. Cylinder kits lasted a lot longer. So I, I'm with okay. Bruce on this. Go, go with the N14, and I'm really interested in this truck you're looking at right now. Okay. Okay, well, I am too, so that's... I'm Right. Let's put a 13 speed in it, too, and get rid of that miserable 9. That's a horrible hey, transmission. Hey, Maybe may a convertible. I, I, was, I was just going to say, Bruce, this might be a $400 fix. That could be a convertible. Yeah, might be the convertible. <laughs> well, I, uh, you guys didn't beat me up nearly as bad as I thought. I, I, no, I, 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 maybe I, this crazy idea isn't so crazy at all. I, I, I could see myself buying a truck like this to put it to work. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, I, I, Hey, I really appreciate this. This has been, you know, I've talked to other people about it and gotten some good info, but you guys really have helped hey, out. Hey, Warren. So yes. the little bit of information we gave you here was pretty valuable. Um, did you, in all the searching, did you happen to find my, my online course for this it used to be a book? I, uh, I didn't see it online, but I did. Uh, I heard, I was listening on the road to one of your podcast or your, you know, your programs. And I, I heard you reference it. Yeah. It's so I'll tell you, there's about 30 times more information in that book than what we just put across all the same kind of stuff though, really specific about how to buy your first truck and become an owner operator. That's the whole purpose okay. of the book. Step by step, exactly what you do, how to find the right truck, spec the right truck, negotiate for the right truck how to find the right carrier or decide if you're going to do your own thing. Everything you could possibly want to know about doing this is in the book. And now it's an online course. Okay. So the, the okay. easiest way to Great. find it is go to learn.letstruck.com. That'll take you right to it. Learn.letstruck.com. Yeah, okay. there's actually four courses right. there that would help you in this venture. There's one called Taking okay. Care of Business that is a general business course I wrote with uh, Larry Wingett, uh, the best-selling author. Larry and I put that course together. There's Stop Holding the Steering Wheel and Start Driving Your Business, which is the one we're talking about now. There's a fuel tax course in there. There's, uh, there's all kinds of great okay. information. Okay. Well, that's good. I, I think I'll do that because I've, 
I've obviously run the numbers. You know, I, 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 I've got my cost per mile that I, that I've, and I didn't do it dependent necessarily on this truck. I mean, I certainly had this one in mind, but I, I had done it. I identified pretty quickly that I either wanted the Detroit, uh, a 60 series or a Cummins N14. I felt like those were probably my two options for pre-emissions they, that could work. They are and, the two um, best choices by far. Okay. And I, I've taken the, you know, in terms of the, so on the income side, I've got, you know, basically a dollar seventy six a mile to operate the truck. That includes paying myself as a company driver, you know, no more than I make now, about 52 cents a mile. Uh, I put in IRP and insurance and fuel, and then I've got the spreadsheet so I can make adjustments in it. It, it auto, you know, it's got formulas and tabs and everything. So I, I've, I'm able to, you know, kind of, kind of change, you know, that number based on what fuel prices and things are. And then on the income side, I just, I've, I've taken the spot market, you know, DAT published average national rate for the region, you know, I, the regions I think I'd operate in. And I took 20% off that for power only and, you know, for, for other issues. And I think I even deducted a little bit more. And I, I hey, still think the hey, numbers Warren, work. I mean, I'd love Warren, to be making three or four. Uh, yeah. Let me just cut to the chase. I'll, I'll tell you what you can expect if you do this right. And it's, I'm, okay. I'm thrilled that you went through all the numbers. You should. But okay. cut to the chase okay. here. We've done this enough. You go buy a truck like this. You put it to work right now. Um my goal, again, I'd like to set goals, would be to, to be able to yeah. generate somewhere between seventy five and 100,000 net revenue. Okay, okay. 75, if we have a tough economy, 75 will be tough to reach, but it'll still be doable. Um, more than 100 isn't probably going to happen anytime soon again. We just came through a time where okay. people were making more than 100 left and right. No big deal. Um, that's not going to happen for a couple and of it, years. And I'm glad, I, I'm kind of glad in a way I didn't jump in during that boom market because I would have hit the tail end of it. And I just don't think I would have had the money set aside or the mindset to make it work i think it was probably and not smart it just ended up by yeah well, i just got scared and, and I, but i think saving this money helps you know so well sometimes that fear I, I have is some cash smart. to do it yeah no I, I i think it worked out well for you i think your timing's good you could pull the trigger on this uh within the next six to twelve months or sooner i mean you're you're okay, okay sooner because oh. we're paying so little for the truck I mean that 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 changes right. everything. If we have to go out and spend fifty to seventy five thousand on a truck, that's way different than spending seventy five hundred and putting another ten into one. I mean, it, it's we, we don't have to be in a big hurry. Right, right. So okay, you're on the right track. You're All asking right. the right questions. Keep doing it. Keep calling us. Uh, go check out the courses. Learn dot let's truck dot com let's go to oregon boy we spent a lot of time on that call uh bill welcome to the program hey kevin nice to talk with you i go back to nemo days with you so i've been with you a long time cmc's the whole deal i actually um, much shorter question i actually know who i'm talking to great to talk to you yeah your neighbor up north that's right um 
Got a question for you. I finally broke down, and, and well, I didn't break down, but I finally decided to wa- top, uh, wash off my battery. So I took all the cables off and washed them off, and of course I run a Maxwell starter. I didn't realize you were supposed to discharge that before you fooled around with the cables. So I took the cables off and washed it off and, you know, put them back on, and I do a test on it, and it's showing a fault three code, solid red. And I can't find any information anymore on the websites. Uh, Maxwell, of course, is no longer around because Tesla bought them out and they took away all the info. Is there a way to solve that issue? I have no problems with it. It's running the truck just fine, and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. But I'm wondering how to get rid of a fault tree code on the Maxwell. Would you happen to know? Or would somebody from Pittsburgh Power know? I don't. We'll see if these guys do. I may have a resource. It, it This, you know, I actually announced when Tesla bought Maxwell and I was kind of excited about it. And I never thought that they might just eliminate the one product we cared about Maxwell for. Maxwell is a huge, huge company worldwide. They do all kinds of crazy stuff. But all we really cared about was that start module. And it never dawned on me that Tesla might just drop it and they did i mean they dropped it there's yeah, no support there is no nothing anymore um but you go to the website all the, it talks about is the auto capacitors right, for automobiles right. doesn't mention a thing about heavy duty trucking anymore i know it's a shame too because and it, all the phone numbers are disconnected yep. you make a phone call it yep. just hangs up That's, on you i know you can't that, even do anything there's nothing <laughs> nothing the one company you might reach out to to see if they have a resource and they were actually our distributor we didn't buy directly from maxwell we bought from a distributor and he was a great guy um he's helped me with some other projects the company's called was it rvcams.com i think that was the website uh i'll check with rvcams.com yeah i I thought you were going to tell me pan pacific because i know that's who initially distributed them but no, it's um, that they they were a distributor as well. There were multiple distributors around okay. the country, and the one we worked through was this RVCams.com. Um, okay. There's a phone number there on their website. Um, you can tell them I told you to call. They may, because they were the distributor, they had worked with Maxwell directly. We didn't. We worked through them. They may have some sort of a resource. Or the guy that I've dealt with over there is a pretty technical guy. He may be able to answer the question for you. Okay. Oh, I appreciate it. It's working fine. I just don't like seeing that red solid yeah. light instead of the green one. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I guess the good thing is it is still working, but uh, that would bug me oh. too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just I, got back from a month and a half driving with it, and it's, it's even firing up my APU. I wired it for the APU to start it up, too, when I needed oh, nice. it. So it's working nice. great. Yeah. Leroy? Great. Maybe Leroy knows something about that. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> oh, come on, Leroy. <laughs> hey, Leroy, just, just make something up. <laughs> uh, no, I don't do that. <laughs> In the beginning, they were really good. And then at one point, we, um, you know, right off putting them on, they were giving us a lot of problems. Like, we were taking them right back off. They wouldn't even uh, fire up. That so they did. had an issue. Yeah. 
you know, yeah, it, it, would, would carry him. Now, I still have some paperwork on it. So if you want to call and give me an email address after the show or give to the, um, Kathy when you call in, I can email you what I have and see if that's of any use to you. Okay. Well, like I say, the literature, it goes, I have the brochure from them specifically, and it tells you the different fault codes. And for a fault code three, it just says do a reset. It doesn't say why it's faulting. It just says do the reset. Press the button for like 10 seconds and release it, and it should reset. It's not doing it. It has no effect on it. But uh, like I say, it's functioning. I just am curious why a fault three and why it's persistent. Hey, Bill. There's no green light. Yeah. Red. Hey, Bill, hold on a second. I'm going to bring in another caller who might have some info to help us. We're going to right. talk to Grant in Nebraska. Grant, welcome. Hello. Um, I don't know. I don't have any experience with the Maxwell, but there is a website called the Wayback Machine that oh, is an right. archive of old websites. So I just talked it about might the other be day. of some help. And it might not. It's kind of fun to find stuff. Um, sometimes it gets all messed up. The graphics are wonky sometimes. <laughs> but yeah. some, sometimes the information will actually be hidden amongst an out-of-order table or something. Yeah. So that's I, something to I, check I, out if you need to. I just talked about this the other day because I found uh, an anomaly in the Wayback Machine and it had to do with vaccine data and the Wayback Machine had been completely erased. Somebody uh, somebody had enough horsepower to go back and, and get things deleted out of the Wayback Machine even. Uh, but that's it. That's not a bad wow. idea. You may be able to go find something like that. Is that the .com website then? Uh, I, I don't know if it's .com, .net, .org. Yeah, I, I would just use yeah. a search engine to find it. Okay. All right. I will do that. Is it all is okay. red light, it, no green? The, the website is web.archive.org. Start there. Okay. Have a good day. All right. All right. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Thanks for the call. We're going to... Keep rolling here. We got calls piling up everywhere now. Let's uh, let's go to New York. Rick, welcome to the program. Good afternoon, guys. How are you? Good. What's on your mind today? Well, first, uh, Kevin, I'm really excited about your network, and uh, I find it very uh, very easy and uh, enjoyable to to use at my convenience. Good. Uh, based. Uh, you know, so so thank you for uh, stepping out of the box, if you will. Um, my question today, Ben. My, my question, Ben. Um, I have a uh, 2020 Peterbilt with a uh, X15 Cummins uh, X15 uh, performance motor, and uh, Bruce, I used a, a gallon jug of that max mileage at uh, about 200,000 miles. I started using your your product, and. At the end of that gallon, I brought my vehicle into uh, for a PM, and uh, with a, a knock sensor uh, fault code, I questioned that, and I was wondering if there's any correlation to the heat that was produced by the the, the, the product that I was you know putting in the tank um, uh, to to 
to create that kind of uh, faulty code, or was it just back to you know a bad a bad sensor? Actually, at two hundred thousand, you've got a, a fair amount of carbon and soot buildup in the engine, so the Max Marley's catalyst was in the process of cleaning, and it'll take about three gallons to get the engine really clean inside. Um, people told me after two thousand or after two gallons, they pull off their EGR tube and they said spotless inside along with the EGR valve. So the heat is in the combustion chamber and not necessarily being transferred to the rest of the engine. So I'm going to say no, it had nothing to do with that. Okay. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I was just, you know, I, I, I pulled away from the product because, uh, you know, I was concerned with that extreme heat, you know, uh, producing that faulty cold. It's not extreme heat. And you really want to get back on it. And then after three or four gallons, you may want to think of having the DPF cleaned. If you go to a DPF alternative, then you have a lifetime warranty on cleanings. That's what I would do. Uh, Or you're actually 50,000 miles away from needing a diesel force cleaning. We used to recommend every 250,000 miles to do diesel force, but if you're using the catalyst, you don't have to do that. But the fact that you went 200,000 without the catalyst, and now you've gone through one gallon, you need to get back on it. And then uh, if you get any signs at the DPF, any codes, uh, Give us a call. And do you get over our way, being you're from Jersey? Uh, well, yeah, I do. You know, I take 80 out west, or okay. you know, I'll get out that you're way. You're only an hour and 15 minutes north of us, so uh, give us a call and get with Leroy and get into the engineering department, and let's just check out your emission system. Well, that's what I think we'll do. And I appreciate the time, guys. And uh, you guys have a good day. That's all for me. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Wisconsin this time. Joe, welcome to the program. Um, 2016 Cascadia Glider, 12.7, 18-speed, 264s, rears. Um, we've done, or I've done for the like a friend of mine's truck, did a manifold, non-wastegated turbo, put the Pittsburgh power tune in, and we can't get over six and a half miles to the gallon running uh, 63 to 65. Wondering if you guys have any ideas. What is the turbo boost at 63 and 65? That'll do about 30. No, no. What is it on a level road when you're on, on dead cruise? 30 is 500 horsepower. So yeah. on the dead level, running along, not into a headwind. How many find um, Yeah, I can't answer that. I'm, I'm a tuner for you guys, but I don't drive it. So I guess I haven't asked them that. Yeah, that's what you have to do. You have to find out, is he just sitting there on cruise control? And or is he actually driving the truck and watching the boost gauge? Yeah, pretty keep sure he wants the cruise. Keep in mind, nothing's level. So right. don't you, if you're riding along on a cruise and you see that boost gauge going up and down, up and down, 
That's a, that's terrible fuel mileage. Uh, I have a feeling that's what he's doing. Um, the other thing, he mostly just runs Wisconsin, but I know you guys had talked because it's got a pretty funky exhaust system. There's like four or five 90 degree bends going into the muffler and then back out to go up the pipe. And I know you guys had talked one time about restriction, but I don't remember what you had said, like percentage wise, or if you think that would be affecting it. Yes. I'll tell you what, every 90 degree elbow is equivalent to 13 feet of straight. So you're much better off on a 45 than you are a 90. And if you have to do a 90, there's your short radius and a long radius. You want to go with the long radius 90s. Yeah, you're, and you have to look at the muffler. Is it a restrictive muffler or is it our quiet performance muffler? Yeah, just your just your no, so. just your ninety degree bends are like pushing out through fifty two feet of pipe. Wow. Yeah, that's what I told them. I think I changed that exhaust Harrison built it so they just put whatever they had, but it's a pretty small canister, goes in like on the top, comes out on the back or something like that. I don't remember exactly. Uh, it's a little what we call the Pete named it, the little man muffler. Comes <laughs> in the top and out the out the front on the two sides. Very, very restrictive muffler. We do have a thing yeah, for that. Okay. I'm thinking that's where I need to go next because we've tried a lot of stuff. And, yeah. uh, the guy actually had a Coronado before this with a 10-speed and a 355s, and he got like through half miles at a gallon better than this truck. I'll do him like that's mm-hmm. not possible, but it is. Yeah. Sure. You can, you can have everything up front, but if you have a terrible exhaust system, you lose it all right there. Okay, I appreciate that. trucks are like race cars. Everything has to be dialed in and everything has to be perfect. Good point. There's a if, lot if going you on. Wanna, if you want to get the good fuel mileage and great performance. If you just want to be mediocre, then it doesn't matter. But who wants to be mediocre? Hey, hey, Bruce? We Yes. We have your friend with the Carrera on the line. Oh, you do? Yeah. Help me, out. Help me out. How do you pronounce his first name? Demir? Demir. 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 Okay, I got it right. All right. Well, let's talk to Demir. I'm glad he called. Demir, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Doing good. Great to hear from you. Good. Um, thank you for thank you, uh, for taking my call. I am uh, actually nervous about uh, calling. You, um, you can relax. I, uh, I've been doing this a long time. We've never had a caller die while they were on the line. Oh, gotcha. Hi, <laughs> right, um, I wanted to, to talk about. Excuse me. I wanted to talk about briefly about this uh, coding, and it's actually not a ceramic coding. I don't uh, remember what it's actually called. Um. But one of the things that I was talking to Bruce about this uh, yesterday, I am doing the same thing to my DD15 cross manifold. And one of the biggest things that we have noticed with my 911, um, that even after like a five to a 10 minute cool down, you can actually touch the manifold and it will not like burn your hands. I mean, it will be warm, but um, it will not burn your hands. So that's why I reached out to Bruce and, 
wanted to see what he thought about maybe trying this on the db 15 platform. I've tried it on the ISX and seen some very good improvements with it. But then again, there's not a whole lot of aftermarket stuff for the DD15s out here. So that's why, you know, kind of got me going on this project and kind of some of the off-the-wall stuff um, and trying different things. And um, I think in a couple of weeks, I'm going to take the truck out to Bruce and kind of show him because I have not got the truck tuned yet. But I kind of didn't want to get it tuned until I get some of the other stuff dialed in that uh, I'm not doing with the truck, if that makes any sense. Uh, yes, and I just, uh, I just pulled up your fuel gauges account. Um, pretty impressive. 30-day average at 9.27. That's awesome. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy about it, but I think there's still a lot of room, uh, for improvement. Yeah, there's always room, but boy, starting, you know, above nine is, is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, long story short, I, third time I actually heard about you, I said I was uh, still uh, in the Navy, and I remember I was going through Nashville, and that was actually the first time I heard about you. I think you had one of your uh, classes, um, National, if I remember, this is like 2007, I think. Yeah, I was, I was just gonna say that was the very first year of the CMC. I did one every month around the country. I did two in Tennessee. I think I did Nashville and Knoxville uh, in 2007. Yeah. Well, I was actually coming to Nashville with my first truck that I bought, which is a CR England uh, truck, 127 Tech4. Oh, wow. Uh, 13 speed, and I thought, you know, I was the baddest guy out there. But that's how long I have been actually listening to you guys. Um, but that being said, Bruce, uh, can you open up uh, your email? Take a look at that picture that I just sent you. Uh, let's see. Oh, the email is always open, but okay. Ah, I see. Okay. Okay, so when the reason we say ceramic coated is back in the late 80s when we started, or mid 80s when we started coating pistons. We called it ceramic and Teflon. It was a form of ceramic and a form of Teflon. But the correct chemical name was so long that we couldn't pronounce it. You had to be a chemist. Maybe Jane Gates could have pronounced it, but it, it, and it meant nothing to us. And so the fellow that started, we started doing this with, he said, look, it's close to ceramic and it's close to Teflon. Let's just call it ceramic and Teflon. So it's a generic term. Okay. Um, did you uh, did you get my picture by any chance? Let's see the picture of the Porsche. No, I sent you another picture of a uh, of my tablet and all my gauges and all my readings that I'm watching uh, and monitoring as I'm driving down the road. Oh, here it is. Okay. 
Yep. Outside temperature, 97. Okay. So that is a, a Volkswagen program because I do have a, a uh, Volkswagen diesel as well. And I bought an adapter on Amazon and unplugged it into my truck. And I that's where a lot of the data logging comes from. And um, obviously I've had lighter kids. I've had the TR input truck. But that is something that I keep an eye on, not only with my Porsche, but also with my DC vehicles, and also in Wikipedia uh, now. Have you uh, um, seen a program like that before? So what's interesting here, it's shown intake temperature of 129 degrees, outside temperature 97. You're running along at 10.4 pound of boost. So it's interesting. Well, that picture was taken uh, just, uh, I believe, Friday or Saturday when I was coming back from Jamesburg. Uh, what I'd like to know is it's showing barometric pressure. I'd like to know the differences that you see in turbo boost and intake temperature as the barometric pressure changes. So if you can make a note of that and email that to me, I'd like to know that. Um, I can do that. I probably have about uh, 50 or so of these pictures that I'm actually trying to work on getting a good data log, you know, to like uh, record like, I don't know, five or 10 minutes at a time or so. Um, but again, like I always talked about yesterday with the catalyst and the hot shots, uh, the truck is performing better than ever, but still cannot get 30 pounds of boost out of it because Again, I, we, we tested uh, the charger cooler. We've uh, uh, tested quite literally everything and slow tested. And, um, you know, now the max I see is 24 and a half, maybe 25 pounds. So obviously, 24 fish. Um, but I, I kind of forgot to tell you about that that's thing that I'm using to monitor the data. I don't know if you, like I said, if you ever seen uh, one of those before, you can customize it really any way you want to. You know, one of the biggest things uh, you watch on it, you can see the DPS pressure intake and sensors and, and kind of like everything else. So that also made um, quite a big difference, uh, like I said, after using the catalyst and, and, uh, and everything else. Okay. Yep. You want to say anything about what it's like to be in a communist country? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, as long as uh, Kevin uh, doesn't uh, put me off the radio. Um, this, so is, I, this is a free speech I, show. Um, You're allowed to say anything here. Well, if I if you talk to Jen, she'll she'll probably tell you that I do need to sugarcoat things uh, a lot more. Um, I I have a saying that the, the worst day here is probably still better than any day in Bosnia. Um, and again, I I uh, I'm here. I've been back only a couple of times. I don't want to say I have no interest in going back, but you know, at the same time, I uh, also, again, I 
I love, like I said, the worst day here is better than any day in Bosnia. But one thing that always stuck with me, the family that sponsored me to come here. Um, so I spent a few years in Germany as a refuge. And uh, it was actually a church uh, that sponsored us uh, to come over here. And like I told Bruce, no English. I didn't speak right, read or any English. And one thing that I do remember was I was told that in this country you can do whatever you want to, but you can be whatever you want to as long as it's legal. And I always uh, took uh, Jay's advice of, you know, the guy that sponsored us uh, to come over here and kind of went on with it. And I don't, um, the week that I'm running, we kind of bump heads every once in a while because I always tell the drivers that I do not um, believe in participation awards. So (laughs) the guys that actually work for me uh, do a great job and, and sometimes, you know, we, I don't want to say we bump heads, but it, it, it's a good reminder, you know, hey, this is what we need to do. And yes, it sucks sometimes, um, but the sacrifices that have to be made here are, again, there's no sacrifices, but compared to other countries, it, it, it's a drop in a bucket, you know, it, and, um, you know, it's a, it's a shame that we can't somehow transfer that knowledge that's in your head because you've experienced that, that we can't transfer that to our children growing up so that they understand how fortunate we were just to be born in this country. But do we really want to, though? Because I I have some uh, pretty, pretty, uh, graphic and pretty oh, pretty I'm, bad memories. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. I, I don't know if I would want to. You yeah, know? I know. I, it, it's um, just, you know, I, I, think, I, I, think that, yeah. I see people that come to this country and they get it. They All they want is an opportunity. They don't want a handout. They don't want help. They just want an opportunity and they take that opportunity like you did and they run with it and they're wildly successful. I've seen it so many times. And yet our kids that grow up here with all the advantages struggle. Right. By the way, uh, speaking for guys like me, uh, we do want to help. I mean, uh, like I said, the best advice is the free advice that I've gotten from you and Bruce and Jay and several other uh, role models, if you will. And I call Bruce, I don't know, Bruce, we would talk what, once a month, once every couple of weeks or so when we have time and and I got a whole list of questions. Hey, what do you think about this and that? And uh, So yes, I, I try to get any help uh, that I can and uh, like I said, I've first uh, I've heard of you. I was still in the military. I listened to the midnight show, and I would get up at four in the morning and go work for uh, Northrop Grumman to build a liaison for them in the U.S. Navy when they were uh, rebuilding the U.S. province and they built the U.S. Bush. And then, uh, yeah, I decided to go buy the Arango Trayliner. And, um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, but successful, I wouldn't consider myself successful. But, yes. Well, but as far as, uh, you know, um, so. Well, here's, here's the deal. Yeah. 
here's the deal. You, you, you survived this call, yep. so I want to hear from you again. Um, anytime. And, uh, and Bruce, if you don't mind, if you want to show, if you want to email um, Kevin uh, some of those pictures I emailed over to you and that software that I'm using, like I said, to monitor the truck, I, uh, I do document everything. Um, I take pictures as much as I can, and then uh, I'd love to keep you guys posted with um, some of the projects, uh, like I said, that I kind of have going on. And um, if you guys want to share that over the radio, uh, more than welcome to. And then when I get out to Saxonburg, uh, um, we can kind of go more into detail. And like I said, I will keep everything uh, documented. And like I said, if you have any questions, um, Bruce or you, Kevin, and I hope Bruce uh, can forward some of those uh, pictures over to you. Uh, you can always reach out to me, and uh, if you have any other ideas uh, or me to try or for my fleet to try, I'm more than not willing to uh, uh, to give it a good try, especially with a dedicated lane that we have, and I always tend to feel the same truck stop just to kind of eliminate um, some of the some of uh, um, what do I want to call it? The variables. Um, the variables, yes. Yeah. And uh, the Amstel's are good. Oh, yeah. please. So, Excellent. All right. So I expect to hear back from you. Drop in once in a while. Let us know what's going on. Update us. Thanks for the call today. We're going to move on. This will probably be our last call today. And... As much as I hate to do it, there's a lot going on politically right now, but I am not going to be able to do the pit today. Um, mostly my fault. I should have prepared earlier today. Uh, last night was a rough night with sleep. I got up late. I didn't have time. I should have been prepared ahead of time, but I am going to skip the pit today. I'm really not ready to do a good show, and uh, this one went long. So, I will start working on next week's show. There's obviously a lot going on in politics right now. Um, I just want to get my thoughts together on it. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, I got a a no start. I've got a 2020 Peterbilt with the Packard engine. And I took it in for a service. And they called me and said, hey, have you ever had a no-start? I go, no. When they said that they had a no-start, I thought they took care of it. I shut down last weekend, and when I went to leave, it would not start. So I called the dealer again, and they said they what they took care of it with was replacing a fuse, a 25-amp fuse uh, on MX ECM or ACM. Well, I'm having that same problem again. I changed the fuse, and it's not that. I asked him, I go, because I was told it might be injector cups. He said he's never heard of that yet on this particular engine. So my curiosity is up. Why would an injector cup keep an engine from not starting? I, that, I was told that, that, it, that it's probably leaking fuel through and not letting it keep its prime or something in that. I don't know if the guy knew what he was talking about. Yeah, I think that guy was ambivalent. That. <laughs> That's what one? I figured. So. Yeah, so if it blew the fuse for the ECM, that's why it doesn't. So does it crank, or does it just, you hit the key and nothing happens? Yeah. 
it cranked and then it wouldn't do anything. It wouldn't turn over. So it acts like it's not getting fuel. And so what I had to do this last weekend, which I hate to do, was I gave it a shot of ether and it cranked up. But I hate to hear that engine when it starts on ether. And then it took off and I haven't had any problems since. So, but I'm not shutting down for two and three days. So I don't know if I've got a bad fuel line or something somewhere causing it. Yeah, I think you have multiple sort of things going on. So there was a situation where it shut off and it would crank, but it wouldn't start, right? And then they said they put a fuse in it and then it started. Yeah, and that was at the dealer. Right, and now and you they did have a service. It. I went and picked it up. It ran. Everything was fine. And now, roughly like three weeks to a month later, it's not starting after I shut down for three days. And now you have to ether it to get it to start. That's what I did so I could go to work this week, yeah. I don't want to have okay, to do that you. again. And you haven't had any issues in the last week? No. No. Not this week so far. Have you shut the truck down, or have you just let it run? Yeah. Uh, well, I, at night I sleep, so I, I idle it up, and then I shut it down when I go in to shower and shut it down when I fuel, and it started every time so far. But you're saying maybe after a couple of days, it, it feels like it maybe it's prime and doesn't want to start? Yeah. Okay. It did it two weeks ago when I was in the hotel for the weekend, but then it started. It just acted like it wasn't getting fuel, like when you change your fuel filter. And you just crank it over. So I called the guy at the DR yeah. and he said, well, we just changed the fuse. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, if he, I don't know. <laughs> if the fuse blew, then yeah, it'll just crank and crank and never start because the ECM's off. But if it's a, it to start, then that means that the ECM is working. It just doesn't have any fuel. And what year did you say this was? 2020. 2020. Yeah, so it's not the old, yeah. it's not the unit ones anymore. It's the, the new style. Um, yeah, yep. so if it's just, I guess what you need to do is to see if it's losing prime or not. And does does it have a lift yeah. pump on it? Yeah. Okay. I would verify. Is it working? Or are you, yeah. you're not sure? Well, I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I, I start there. That's what I did Even the first it, time. I I pumped. Oh, no, you go ahead. Yeah, no, I. you talk about that pump on the side of the block, right? Yeah. Yeah, I pumped that. When I didn't start the first time, I tried that because I, I didn't want to ether. And I pumped and pumped and pumped and pumped, and it still wouldn't start. So, yeah. and then it went when I gave it a shot of ether. I, I, gotta, so I guess when, when you gave it the ether, did you hold it down for like one second or... How long, how much ether did you give it? Well, I was standing in, in the door, leaning through, and just shot the ether over the breather. So, and and then it fired. So I didn't give it a whole lot. Did, did the engine rattle? Oh, did it ever, yeah. That's why, that's why I don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so the, the only two things that you have either losing prime or you have some sort of ECM issue. Maybe that's something right. that's correlated with ECM that has an issue and it popped a fuse once and now it's showing a different symptom where it doesn't want to start. 
um, it, it, you're just down to one. Either losing prime, not getting fuel, or you have some sort of ECM issue. Okay, Pete, you're an ex- Pete, you're an expert on using the sight gauge and clear lines. Tell them how to uh, check it for sucking air. So that's what I was thinking was more of a fuel issue. Uh, the fact that it fired up on ether made it sound like that's what it was, and it's bleeding off. Uh, so what you do is get a sight glass and put it at the back of the pump and fire the truck up, run it around a little bit, get all the air out of the system, and then what you do is let it sit overnight. Uh, then when you go to start, before you start, you tilt the hood, see if there's any air in there or not. Uh, and then watch it while you start it. It's nice to have a second person there because there might not show any air at the site class until you fire it up. And if you're getting air in there, it's bleeding off someplace, whether it's a injector causing it, um, a fitting, a filter head, anything like that can cause that. And that's the problem. And then, of course, you can find the problem and fix it. Yep. And okay. a lot of people will do that don't have the site class. Um, kind of just to roll things out is you would get a short line from the back of the pump to a uh, can of clean fuel, fire the truck up, uh, let it run for a little bit, clean all the air out of the system, shut it down, let it sit overnight. If the truck fires right up, then the problem's behind um, the fuel can, you know, back. Right. If it still acts up, then it's not the fuel line, it's not a fitting, it's not a filter, it's something pump or injector issue. Okay. You got it. And figure out what might be going on with it. Pete, do you still use the LED flashlight to look through the sight glass from hold it behind it so you can see through and see the air bubbles coming through? It does make it easier if you shine a, a bright flashlight on the back side watching for the air bubbles. When there's no air bubbles, it doesn't look like anything. It just looks like fuel. You know, it just looks solid. You don't see the movement. Um, you see the movement when you see the air bubbles going through. Okay. All right. Very good. Appreciate it. Do you know what else you could do? Put a fat fuel system on it, and that'll help prime it. You know, turn the pass on before you hit the key to start it. Yep. Okay. I'll recommend that. See what they do. I'm a company driver, but they take pretty good care of me, so... Uh, I might be able to convince the mechanics to do something like that. We keep having problems. So, but I appreciate you guys' time and I mileage. So, all right, I, you know, Thank hopefully that's, uh, that's doing me some good. There you go. Thanks for the call. Hey, Bruce, you know the story of how the uh, the fast saved me from embarrassment. No, I don't. So when when the uh, the original signature truck that we had at the Louisville Truck Show. Uh, when we left there and it was a last minute thing, we weren't planning on doing this, but Lisa and I decided to drive it back to Colorado and I, there was a whole bunch of weird stuff that happened. We had, we had a condo in Louisville that we were staying in for the show and I parked it across the street. There was a gas station over there and they let me park it, but I was on this, a, a really steep angle side to side. And when I got in, the fuel gauge was way off because so I I looked at it and I couldn't remember how much fuel we had in it. And I thought I need to pay attention and, you know, get fuel later. Well, on the way home, I was 
calling you and I'm watching all the gauges and I'm playing around with stuff because I'm so excited about all this stuff on this truck. And I just happened to look down and my fuel gauge was below empty. I'm like, oh, that's not good. So I tell Lisa, I said, you got to find a a truck stop soon. I got to stop and get fuel. So she finds a truck stop and dummy me, always pushing it. I said, do they have a scale? Because I really want to weigh this thing too. And she said, no, there's no scale at that one. I said, check the next exit. We can probably make it. So she checks the next exit. She says, yeah, there's a truck stop there with a scale. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to that one. I want to stop once and get this over with. The truck started stalling on the ramp and I just threw it into neutral. I had momentum going. I didn't even stop at the stop sign. I think I went blowing around that corner on two wheels and I could see the pumps and it was sort of downhill the whole way. And I thought, and I'm talking like probably I'm still like three or 400 yards away from the pump and I'm done. And I literally coasted to a stop at the pump, but I was pushing it, sucking all the fuel I could out of that thing, even wiggling the truck back and forth to make it there. So I get there and I I pull up to the pump and I'm like, I can't believe I got here. I'm going to get fuel. But then I'm thinking, how hard is this thing going to be to start? You know, I don't know this truck. I don't know this engine. I ran it completely out of fuel. I'm like, boy, I hope it's not hard to start. But then it gets worse. Because as I'm standing there at the pump, I hear somebody, Kevin, is that you? Is that the signature truck? And the next thing I know, I've got like 15 people standing around looking at the truck. So now I finish fueling and I'm like, I really don't want to get in and try starting this thing with everybody standing here. It's going to be embarrassing if it doesn't start. And then I thought, you know what? I've got the fast. We've got it wired to the key. Turn the key on. You can hear it pump. And I just crossed my fingers and it fired right up. There you go. Could have been very embarrassing. Nice. If that and one that auxiliary electric pump. Yeah. Nice that auxiliary pump. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure was. All right. Anybody have anything they want to wrap this up with? Nope. All right. Negative. I think we're done for today. We are going to skip the pit. I will work on a good show for next week. And we will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. Thanks to the team from Pittsburgh Power. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.